Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo. Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español. Marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Ascast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Ascast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too. How are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, I, I sound a little better than you do. You were uh, performing last night. Performing I take. at the Edinburgh Fringe, exactly. Oh, and somebody who listens to the show did come and talk to me afterwards, which was very nice of them. So thank you for that. But basically, I have ravaged. There's two things you need to know. I've ravaged the inside of my throat, so this is why I'm a little bit uh, lower in my register than you're probably accustomed to when from I do this show. Shouting and, and stuff. Performing shouting, stuff. Shouting and performing without doing adequate vocal, you know, warm-ups because I'm lazy. Yeah. Another thing to tell you is that I'm staying in this hotel in Edinburgh and basically every time, I think it's when people have a shower in another room, it's like, the only way I can describe it is like there are people buried in the walls and then those people come to life and try to get out. It's oh. extraordinary sound. So if you feel if you hear that filtering in, uh, well, let's hope it is just the pipes and not people buried in the walls. Coming. I don't know where I've got that image from, but it's, it's quite frightening. There'd have to be big walls, fairly thick walls to, to contain or, the bodies. Or thin people. Never thought of that. Never yep. thought of that. And without their skin and organs and all that kind of stuff, you can fit more people inside a wall. Uh, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. <laughs> Dear God. Dear God, uh, indeed. Hopefully not, like I say. Okay. Anyway, how was your uh, weekend? It was all right. It was all right. I went to see that Mission Impossible movie, the new one. The one about uh, Arsenal trying to defend? Yeah, that's what it's called, Mission Impossible. <laughs> boom, boom. No, I actually went to see the Mission Impossible. What a bag of shit. Jesus Christ. I know, but like, my expectations weren't particularly high. Yeah. But was it not even sort of fun in a kind of brainless? It way? was just long in a kind of oh, what kind of ridiculous stunt are they going to do now? And you know the way that like the what's his name, Tom Cruise, like mm-hmm. the, the the whole character right is this super fucking hero guy who can do anything. They can like make faces of other people and they've got all the gadgets and they, you know, they're so um, precise. They've got so much attention to detail. Uh, You know, they can build incredible scenarios to trick people and all that kind of stuff. And the whole premise of the movie is based on him forgetting something really fucking obvious at the start. It's like, here's some plutonium. Oh, yeah, better make sure I look after the plutonium. Oh, no, I forgot the plutonium. Now we have to get the plutonium. And it's just nonsense. It's nonsense. It's just like a film about a man who's forgotten his keys or something. Yeah, yeah. And it goes to extraordinary lengths to get them back. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, this is a bit of a spoiler alert. So if you are planning on going to see the Mission Impossible movie, switch off now. They they get the plutonium in the end. <laughs> 
that is I'm not even sure that qualifies as a spoiler really yeah. I mean that is bad like it's a bad trait for a spy to have yeah. forgetfulness yeah forgetful this is one thing forgetting your shopping or you know you go to the you go to the supermarket without your bag for life and you got to pay 70 cents for a plastic bag that's bad but not plutonium you don't forget plutonium when it's lying on the ground beside you and the whole fucking point of doing what you're doing is you know the plutonium but there you go Movies, eh? <sighs> movies, eh? Movies. You know, they, they, they can disappoint you. They certainly can. What about the football? Uh, also, bit, oh, go on. Yeah, also disappointing. Also disappoint you. <laughs> Coming back to the Mission Impossible theme. We forgot basic things. <laughs> we, for, we forgot to do defending. It's like the plutonium of, of Arsenal is defending. Um, yeah, yeah, it's look, there, there, there are some positive things and we're going to come to the positive things a little bit later on, but there are also some negative things uh, that we need to, to touch on and the defending is clearly one of them, starting with the, the first Chelsea goal. Well, I, uh, maybe the biggest negative from uh, Saturday was our wastefulness. Would you put that as a bigger negative than our defending? Because we know that it's not really our strong point. We're not that good at the old defending thing. We kind of know that. But when you've got players like Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, Mesut Ozil in your team and you create, as we did in the first half, five big chances you mm. expect to score more goals and there was uh, uh, not um calls and correlation kind of thing going on but Mesut Ozil missed a great chance and within 60 seconds Chelsea are ahead Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang missed a great chance to make it 1-1 60 seconds later Chelsea are are 2-0 ahead so for which for you was the more the most negative aspect of our game was it the defending or was it the missing of chances for me, I think it is the defending. And the reason I say that is because although the missing of chances was infuriating, I'm still kind of labouring under the idea that that's not going to happen in every game. You know, I feel like it was almost almost a freak in some respects in terms of who missed those chances, particularly mm. Aubameyang. We wouldn't normally expect that. And I think that, you know, his performances so far in an Arsenal shirt have suggested that missing from five yards isn't going to become a regular thing. Whereas the defending feels like an endemic problem. It feels like something that's been going on a long time and that needs correction on the training ground rather than something that might just be sort of influenced by chance on the day. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know. I do know. Yeah. And, and there's a positive to missing chances in the sense that you're creating chances. So yeah, uh, I mean, if it, that's it was a game yeah. with so many chances in it. I mean, looking at the, the stats that we had 15 shots away from home, they had 24 shots on our goal. Whoa. I mean, this this score, you know, it was 3-2, sure, but it felt like it, it almost should have been about 5 all. Mm. A point to make on that, we had 12 shots in the first half, including those five big chances, and only three True. in the second half, with only one shot on target in the second half. So look, let's go through the goals. The first one, uh, I guess you can apportion blame in a number of areas, people were critical of Hector Bellerin for cutting inside, but in mitigation to him, he, he followed the man, maybe he shouldn't have, but I thought Henrik Mkhitaryan was was very culpable in the sense that he switched off. He could see Alonso go past him and he didn't really stay with him until the pass was made and at that point he couldn't get back. And then when the ball came across, I, I've watched this goal a number of times. I watched it repeatedly this morning. I have no idea what our central defenders are doing at all. I just can't figure it out. Talk to me about that. I'm going to watch it now and, and see see what you mean. But um, you mean that you just can't figure out what they're doing in terms of marking? Yeah, positionally. And I don't know why 
they didn't react in any way until it was way too late? Why didn't they drop off as soon as that ball was played down the channel to uh, to Alonso? They should have. I don't know. Look, there's a there's a graphic. Uh, I'm gonna maybe I'll screenshot it and send it to you. There's the screenshot sound. Um, and if you look at the, if you just as the ball comes across, the position of our central defenders, Alonso's playing the ball with Mikatarian just about getting back to him, but can't stop it from just outside our area. Pedro is on the top of the D. Mustafi is to the right of Mikatarian, almost yeah. in line with Pedro. Socrates is five yards behind Pedro, nowhere. Nowhere near him, and Monreal is, is sort of covering the man who is is coming the right hand side. But you know he's he's ahead of ahead of his man. He's goal side of his man. I, I just don't know what they were doing or how they got themselves into that position. It is. Uh, it's not the most immaculate backline, is it? Watching it now, no. <laughs> they are kind of. They are literally. I mean, at the moment the pass is played, they're kind of all doing different things. There's no coherence. And of course, yes, Bellerin has stepped up and he's been dragged out of position a bit by Willian. But you're right, Mkhitaryan switches off completely, uh, doesn't track the man. And I suppose as well, we should probably look at the, uh, the central midfield players as well, because they ostensibly should be tasked with covering the fullbacks when they do step out of position. And there's none of that happening. It, it is poor defending from um, an Arsenal point of view. And it's so frustrating to see that so early in the game mm. as well. You know, one of our big problems has been going to these big away games and conceding early on. And this was in, what, the, the eighth minute, something like that. Yeah. And, and yet we are all at sea. And at that point, you know, I was really fearing the worst. I mean, that, that was sort of um, the fact that they added a second goal not long after. It felt like this might have been mm. another really humiliating day at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I mean, there's a clip... Uh, I don't know if you've got the full game there or if you're just watching a highlights or a goal clip, but... It's just highlights. Yeah, if you look at the, the the full game again, after the goal goes in and play starts, they cut to the bench and Unai Emery is talking quite uh, animatedly to Juan Carlos Carcedo, who's his uh, assistant manager, assistant head coach, and obviously chatting away to him in Spanish, but he finishes it off with a fairly resounding puta madre. It's like, for fuck's sake, you know. Uh, so even the coach, if he wants them to play a high line, which I'm sure he does because that's what we've done, then um, they're not doing it to the, the way he wants, clearly. You know, to be mm. cut apart that easily, uh, that early in the game as well, is 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 really poor. And again, it was evident in the, in the second goal, um, Aubameyang missed a, an absolute sitter, I know people were complaining that Bellerin didn't roll it for Mkhitaryan. He waited to play the pass, but I, I think it was a, a good piece of play from Bellerin. If you put the ball on a plate 10 yards out to a striker like Henrik Mkhitaryan, I think as a, a as a, an attacking fullback or as a creator of a chance, you've done your job. You've done your job there. Um, and it was a, an astonishing miss from Aubameyang. Yeah, I think Bellerin did really well, actually. I was, I, to be honest, that's something I don't think he does... Uh, often enough, you know, take his time and really pick somebody out from that byline. And Aubameyang did what all great strikers do, which is hang back slightly so as to, you know, avoid getting sucked in with all the rest of the centre-halves. Mm. And I 
I was staggered when he put that over. And then Chelsea go up straight out the other end and score. It was a little bit like, I think it was maybe in the the 6-0 game, there was a chance where we had Olivier Giroud to score a goal. Yeah. Uh, maybe to open the scoring and it then was, Chelsea yeah, went yeah. straight up the other end and scored. It reminded me of that moment. And the defending on this goal, I mean, maybe you can explain it to me. I, I found it baffling because the, the Arsenal defenders are... I think almost in Chelsea's half at yeah. this point, which basically means there is no offside trap at that stage. Yeah, yeah. As long as Morata runs past them, he's he's through in there. And given the risk of that, they have to drop with him. Yeah, well, the one who has to drop is Mustafi. Because when you look at the, the position as the ball is being played, I'm going to get it, uh, I'm gonna get it up here uh, on my replay thing. Um Come on. Ah, the fucking thing's shut down. Anyway, basically, as I think it's Aspilicueta, as he plays the ball over the top, the the Arsenal players are basically standing on the um, standing on the the halfway line. Uh, Here it is. I'm just going to look at it again. There's a picture of Aubameyang looking very, very uh, distraught because he knows his miss uh, would have made it 1-1. Here we go. Here's the replay. So as it, as the ball comes in, right, Socrates is telling Monreal to go out to the guy on the wing. Mm-hmm. Mustafi is standing in the center circle on the halfway line. He's got Morata right in front of him, and he can see Socrates, who's got his back to Morata. So what Mustafi needs to do here is just to drop, drop back and to his left about three or four yards. And in order to cut out the danger, that's the only danger that there is, is the ball being played over the top and into that space for Morata to run onto. So to not be aware of that from Mustafi's point of view, I think is absolutely terrible defending. It makes me really worry about Mustafi that he can't look at that situation and know, okay, I've got a drop off. And if the ball is played in there, I've got two or three yards, maybe three or four yard head start on uh, Morata to get to the ball first. You deal with it. You put it back to your keeper. You put it out for a throw. You do whatever you need to do. But what you don't do is stand there and wait on the halfway line until the ball has been played over the top because then you're fucked. And that's exactly what he was. He was fucked by the ball and he was fucked over by Morata as well, who just turned him inside out way too easily. You know, it wasn't even that great a piece of skill from Morata, was it? He just cut back inside and Mustafi, his momentum took him just out of the game. There was nothing he could do. But it's all down to that basic piece of A, bad positioning and B, just no awareness or no reading of the game. Yeah, I can't say fairer than that, really. I mean, it's almost as if, and obviously we don't know what conversations are going on behind closed doors, but it's almost as if there's been such an emphasis on playing a high line that that's kind of all Mustafi's capable of thinking about in that moment. And, and almost on the first goal too, that they're so obsessed with the line and, and pressing high up the pitch that they almost forget about the space in behind them. And Mustafi's never going to win a foot race with Morata. For a big guy, he's actually pretty quick. And, you know, I think he, he really leaves himself vulnerable and it's exploited. And to be honest, he doesn't cover himself in glory chasing back and trying to get the challenge in either. It's it's just too easy from that point. Yeah, 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 it really is. You know, and people have pointed a finger of blame at Socrates, but, you know, he's the guy who's covering 
you know, he's not. He's looking at the ball. He's not looking at the play the way Mustafi is. Mustafi can see everything that's going on. Um, so he either calls his mate and tells him to drop if he wants that cover, if he's not prepared to do it himself, or he does it himself. You don't just do what he did and stand there because you you do get you do get exploited and you get punished at this level. You get punished, and those are just two really small little things, you know, that we look at in those two goals. One is Mustafi if he dropped three or four yards, even two or three yards, he cuts out that danger. And that's not a goal. More than likely, it's not a goal. Okay, you know, we, we can't predict exactly where it would have ended up, but he would have had a better chance of, of, of cutting out the danger. Um, Mkhitaryan, all it was was a second, second and a half, where he just let uh, Alonso go past him. And that's all it is. And, and uh, you know, you went to... Were you at that thing? The, um, the medical uh, yeah. tour... And Tim Stillman wrote a really good piece about it for Ars Blog News, which you should read if you haven't already. It's it's fascinating stuff. But, you know, talk of marginal gains. All these things that clubs are doing now to get this extra 0.01% out of their players, whether it's physically or mentally or whatever it is. But it, it has to it has to happen on the pitch as well. That that None of that makes any difference if players are switching off at key moments in games. You know, th- this is not complicated stuff. It's not like we were taken apart by Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, you know, cutting us apart with triangles and brilliant dribbling is really basic stuff that we didn't get right. And that's, in one way, you you can look at it and say, okay, it should be, it should be r- relatively easy to attempt to fix that because it is so basic that he can instruct his players, look, this isn't complicated stuff. When a guy goes running beyond you, keep up with him. And when you're in this position on the halfway line, drop off a couple of yards so you can cut out the danger. The other side of that is, should players need to be told this? Should they need to be told? Should experienced players like Mkhitaryan, Mustafi, should they need to be told? Do they need to sit down and watch videos to know this very basic stuff? Well, apparently, yes. I mean... Mm. That, that and and these things are nothing new to us. And I suppose the only, well, the, the main disappointment is that Emery hasn't managed to fix that in the space of six weeks. But that doesn't, or eight weeks, whatever it is now. But that doesn't seem particularly reasonable. I think, you know, these problems are so sort of fundamental that it's going to take more time. Mm. Or maybe it's problems with the personnel. I mean, ultimately, when I was watching this game, my thought was. I thought there was a lot that was positive about our play, but I felt that we were let down defensively. And I think a lot of that is on, at this stage, a lot of that has to be on the recruitment team. You know, have we got enough good defenders in the squad? Yeah, that's that's a worry, you know, because at this point after the two games, and I, you know, I accept fully that they were against very good teams, Chelsea and Manchester City. But based on performances, I'd look to to change something. And you know what was interesting? I went to have a look at Mustafi's stats and I went to look at mm. um, not just his defending. And I was looking at our pass combinations in the game. And the top three pass combinations all involve Mustafi. So mm. number one was Czech to Mustafi. Number two was Guendouzi to Mustafi. And number three was Mustafi to Bellerin. So... He appears to be fundamental to the way that Emery wants us to play from the back. And with the ball at his feet, he's a he's a pretty good passer of the ball. But the offset of that is his defensive weakness. And I think in the two years that he's been here, those have been very evident. 
whether or not Emery can can coach him to understand the basics of the game better, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that a guy of 26 years of age, is he 26 now? Is that what age he uh, is? I'm just going to look him up here. That sounds about right. Yeah, he's uh, 26. 26. Yeah. So, you know, if you're not on top of simple, basic things at this point in your career, I really worry that that it's going to be difficult for you um, because what it is essentially is is a concentration issue, I suppose. Lapses in concentration, you know? And you can train a player from dusk until dawn and you can make him physically better and physically stronger and technically better, but mentally, how do you, how do you improve a player who's got those kind of flaws in his game? So... It's difficult. And, when, and, and what alternative does he have on well, the bench? You know, he's got holding a Mavropanos. Mavropanos is a guy who's played three games of senior football, one of which he got sent off in, and two of which were at the end of a season in which we knew the games didn't matter. And, you know, he looked kind of promising, but we've, we've got no real frame of reference for how good he is. And holding, I like, I think there's, the potential for a, a good defender in there. And because he's a bit younger, I think probably you've got more scope to improve him. So I would be hopeful that uh, if we're going to, if we're going to put time and effort into a defender, I think it should be holding more than Mustafi. Yeah. I, I mean, do you hold any hope out for Mustafi based on his quotes the other day? I don't know if you saw him saying, Oh, uh, it's 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 hard to improve when no one's telling you how to improve. It kind of read a little bit like a, a yeah. dig at the previous management of the club. Do you hold any hope out from on that basis that maybe if he's got a manager now who will tell him what he's doing wrong, we might see something a bit better. From yeah, him? yeah, maybe. I mean, there is that possibility. But you know, I, I thought those comments were quite pointed, actually. But, you know, are we to believe that nobody, whether it was Arsene Wenger or Steve Bold or Boro Primorac or Neil Banfield or any one of the uh, Arsenal coaching staff, did are we to believe that none of them ever told Mustafi, don't go fucking sliding in? You know, I think it sort of abdicates him of his own responsibilities in a way. And people might get on board with a, a you know, a bit of a dig at Wenger and, and everything else. But to me, that was a guy, and there may be some truth to it. I'm not saying that, but it just just came across as like quite petty and and sort of like, well, it's not my fault. You know, it wasn't yeah, my fault that himself. I, yeah, not my fault that I went sliding in, not my fault I went to ground, not my fault I didn't fucking jump for a header in the Carabao Cup final, not my fault I stood there going, come on, ref, when fucking Sergio Aguero's racing through. Do you, you mean, do you need a manager to tell you what to do in those situations? If you do, then you're in the wrong fucking game. Mm. Mm. And, and I, yeah, look, it is early days, but I am alarmed that whoever it is that is assembling this squad looked at it and thought, yeah, that's good enough in central defence. It just yeah. feels like we've handicapped ourselves, potentially. Yes, yes. Because you will have days where you don't finish quite as well. And we had yeah. a pretty extraordinary one on that front. Um, uh, and when you do, you need that foundation. You need that defensive solid base to fall back on. And... Uh, Without that, you, you are exposed. And mm. we were exposed against Chelsea, 2 nil down after 20 minutes. I yeah. mean, you know, we, we're making it very hard for ourselves. We sure are. And then, you know, we missed another amazing chance. Mkhitaryan guilty of missing a great chance. Uh, 
and you're thinking, well, what the fuck? You know, you can't you can't miss chances like that and hope to get anything from the game. And then we score a goal. Mkhitaryan with a really good finish, cracking finish with his left foot. Uh, mm. The ball broke kindly to him on the edge of the box after we'd won it high up the pitch. I think Monreal got in and dispossessed Willian. Uh, he, did, he did well, Mo- yeah. Monreal. It, it was a good interception. That's exactly the sort of pressing, I suppose, Emery's after. Yeah. And a great finish from Mkhitaryan. A lovely sort of uh, whip on it. He struck that low he's into the a, corner. He's an odd player, isn't he? I saw, I saw a question earlier, and I'm sorry, I can't find it now, but someone had sort of asked, you know, is he the new Theo Walcott in the sense that he's either anonymous or quite poor? And I thought he was really poor for the first mm. half an hour against Chelsea. I thought he was really, really poor for a player of his experience. And then he bursts into life and he scored that amazing goal. And then the, the second goal was really fantastic. You know, I didn't realise until watching it afterwards that it did come at the end of a really, uh, a really smart move we began at the back. We passed it to the keeper a couple of times. We worked it up the pitch. Uh, we worked it from side to side, uh, you know, from the left-hand side over to the right-hand side. Mikatarian was there, pulled it back. Great movement uh, into the box from Alex Iwobi. Really good finish as well from Iwobi. Kept it down, powered it into the net. And I think when you look at the chances that we made, it, it seems clear to me that this is the kind of stuff that Emery is working on on the training ground in, in terms of the attacking play that we have because we're looking at uh, players finding some space in behind, pulling the ball back towards the, the penalty spot. There was another one, wasn't there, a few minutes later for Iwobi, a, a more difficult chance. Um, I actually thought he could have maybe taken a taken a, a touch there. But, you know, all of a sudden it's 2-2 and we have fantastic momentum going into, going into the second half. I didn't see that kind of a turnaround coming from us, but I was obviously very, very happy when it, when it uh, occurred. Yeah, and you know, Emery had called for more character from his team, more personality after the Man City game. And to be fair to them, they did show that in the way that they got back into the the game in the first half. Um, And I thought that you're right, you make a good point about the types of chances that we created. You know, the the archetypal Man City goal Mm. is that pullback, isn't it? And that seems to be what we were working on, getting the fullbacks into wide areas, getting the ball across Grohl. Cross Grohl. And I think uh, the point you made about Mkhitaryan and what a strange player he is, I mean, he did come in as kind of an Alexis replacement and something we've said before that he can kind of mirror his contribution at times, you know, frustrating for a long time and then produces something out of nothing. Um, and as for Iwobi, I mean, we didn't talk about the lineup at the top, but he mm. was a big surprise, really, I, in mm. terms of him starting the game. And I, and I liked what he did for the most part. Yeah, I wasn't surprised. I think I, I called it in the in the blog on the day of the game or the day before. I thought he might start with Iwobi. Uh, I thought it might be for Mkhitaryan, though. That was my my uh, thinking on that. But he did come in. I think he did well down the left-hand side, scored a good goal, um, tired a bit, I think, uh, in the second half. But the second half itself was a strange beast, wasn't it? Because having gone into the break at 2-2, the momentum was with us. And you felt like if we could come out and continue that a bit in the second half, when you look at the chances, the, the quality, the, both the number and the quality of chances that we created, I thought we could score again. I didn't see any reason why we couldn't score again. You know, and that this is the the, the amazing thing about football is that you, you go through a first half and you think, oh my God, this is terrible. And it, the game can flip in an instant. And all of a sudden we look really dangerous and we look like we can pull Chelsea apart and it looks like we can we can fashion good scoring opportunities for ourselves. I really thought that we would continue that in the second half, but it, it didn't happen. Um, 
Do you put any of that down to the removal of Granit Xhaka? I mean, what was your thought at halftime when that substitution was made, when Xhaka was taken off and Lucas Torreira was put on? Your initial reaction? My initial reaction was that that was a good thing. Um, yeah. I, I, and to be honest, it's, it's it's as much about, I mean, there's an element of enjoying the novelty of it, of having a manager who's prepared to make changes that early, who's prepared to be uh, decisive with his substitutions. And I just felt Shaka was not having the best afternoon. He was on a booking. Uh, and Torres, someone who I thought would protect the back four maybe a bit more. You know, I think Emery looked at what was happening, thought, well, we're creating plenty of chances going forward, but we look vulnerable at the back. I'm not going to bring someone on in defence, so how can I change that? Maybe I can get Torreira on there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that made loads of sense to me. However, when you look back at the the Iwobi goal, for example, that brilliant move, Shaka was part of that. You know, he was, he did play his role in that. He was the guy, you know, involved in spreading the play uh, from deep. And maybe without him, mm. maybe we lost a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was one of those where in the moment I thought, great, I, I love this as the second half wore on. And it's difficult to know, isn't it, if the removal of Shaka yeah. was the the component that made it more difficult yeah. for us. But we didn't create chances in the same fashion. No, we didn't. And I don't think you can necessarily put it down to, to Xhaka. But I did have a look at the the passing statistics. Um, Xhaka completed 29 of 35, Torreira 23 of 25. But here's where it's a little bit interesting, not hugely, but a little bit interesting. Xhaka completed 13 of his passes in the defensive third, of the pitch. Torreira only completed three in the defensive third. So it does speak to perhaps Xhaka coming and picking the ball up uh, a bit deeper and maybe spreading the play, like you say, and getting on the ball uh, deep in our half and moving the ball left or right, wherever it was. Whereas Torreira made many more passes in the middle um, third of the pitch. So I don't know if that explains it in any way, but, you know, there was certainly something different about Arsenal in the in the second half. And you can't necessarily say that he wasn't trying to to win the game or he didn't make... It's not like he put on Torreira, Elneny, and then stuck on a defender. You know, he brought on Aaron Ramsey. Um, Ramsey came on for... Was it Mesut Ozil? Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And I think that was, I think that was a, a reasonable uh, substitution to make. Mad stat that Ozil completed only 15 passes in the entire game. I, I mean, he can't ever have completed that few no. in that long on the pitch yeah, for Arsenal before. It's, it's amazing. And it was 70 minutes. It wasn't like he played 50 minutes. It was 70 minutes. And for him not to be involved and not to be kind of the hub, particularly when you look at the position in which he was playing, maybe it just speaks to the fact that we didn't get the ball into him or in that area as much as we would like, because I think the the, the idea was to get the ball into wide positions, uh, and that's where we were most effective. It wasn't like we were, uh, you know, trying to funnel it through the middle. We were getting wide and we were creating chances from those wide positions, but, you know, he, he had an indifferent game, and it was Iwobi came off for, for Lacazette, you know, so you're, you're putting a striker on, you're putting Aaron Ramsey on a, a player who can do much the same kind of job in that role that, that Ozil did, certainly um, uh, at Stamford Bridge in that particular game. You know, he gives you an attacking threat. He gives you somebody who can get in the box. He did have a, a couple of moments, Ramsey. There was a shot that was saved. There was a shot that went not far over the bar. So he did add something to our uh, attacking um, game. But it was so uh, it was so chalk and cheese, wasn't it, from the first half? It was. I mean, that point about Ozil was a really interesting one because 
you know, one of the, the main, most interesting things about the team sheet was that it moved Mesut Ozil into a central position, you know, from a wide area at the expense of Aaron Ramsey. And you would have thought that would have led to him being more directly involved. It's interesting, you know, even though a lot of our build-up play did come down the wings, when you think about Ozil playing centrally, one of the, the most striking things is how often he will move out into wide areas and interact with the fullback. You know, you see a fullback player one-two with Ozil. I just wonder if maybe... Emery's instructions for him to be involved in the press meant that he spent more time mm. kind of chasing centre halves than than picking up the positions where he can be most dangerous. It yeah. was it was a curious performance from him, and I, I didn't have any issues with that substitution either. As for the second half as a whole, I do wonder if we're are we seeing here maybe that we do have a manager who is slightly more well not slightly more significantly more defensively minded than the one we had previously, and maybe. I don't think at 2-2 he was like, well, we now we just defend. But yeah. the change that he made was fundamentally a defensive one. And maybe something that he said in his halftime team talk, maybe the emphasis was more on you need to stop giving away these chances. And maybe that impacted our performance in some way. Yeah, maybe so. It's hard to tell. You know, we've got such a small frame of reference for it's a small pool of samples. Yeah, it? exactly. For for you know what he does and why he does it. We don't really understand necessarily what his thinking is in certain situations. Whereas with Wenger, we kind of knew it was well, throw on all the forwards, throw on all the fullbacks. Uh, you know, we, we, we had 22 years of experience of knowing why he made the decisions that he made, or at least we could have a very good uh, guess at why he was making particular decisions. With Emery, we, we don't have that yet. Um, the, the, the winning goal for Chelsea, again, I think it falls on us primarily because... We had the ball, Lacazette, rather than make a, what seemed to me to be the obvious pass out to Aubameyang, who was out uh, to his, I think it was to his right as he was receiving the ball. He played the ball back into a dangerous area, back into trouble, back into traffic. Chelsea picked it up, I thought his attempt to uh, to to see Hazard down the line was really poor. He just hung a leg at him. It was kind of Denielsen-esque defending from, from Lacazette there. Hazard really made a difference for them when he came on. I mean, his quality was very obvious. Uh, he made our life uh, quite difficult at times, and uh, it wasn't really any surprise that he was the guy who, who fashioned the winner. But again, a player not quite switched on, Lucas Torreira to the run of Marcus Alonso. Apparently, he was taken to task for it after the game by by the assistant manager. Uh, you know, marginal gains, small mistakes, lapses in concentration. Um, we can cut them out of our game. If we cut them out of our game, you know, we will be better. But it's, it's, uh, it's looking at the bigger picture and why are these players making these mistakes? Um, you know... Uh, people talk about players being vengered, but Lacazette is not really a Wenger player. Torreira is not a Wenger player. You know, this is not down to, to what happened before. It's down to what's happening now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do think it is worth saying that the the introduction of Hazard was a massive point in the game. You know, I, yeah. I do think from that stage, and not just Hazard, I thought Kovacic was very good for them as well. And they, they took control of that second half at that point. And, you know, Hazard's a player that, some of the best teams in the world would struggle to live yeah. with on his on his day, um, but this goal was quite sloppy and also just sort of subjectively 
there isn't much of more of a painful outcome against Chelsea than succumbing to a, a Marcus Alonso Ugh, winner. That Probably guy. my least favourite Chelsea player. Yeah, that guy, that guy. You know, and I do feel like really, although we invited pressure on ourselves in the second half, I don't think, you know, we could be said to have managed that second half as well. Uh, as we could have, I, I kind of felt like on the basis of the chances we created. I mean, Petr Cech made a lot of saves as well. You know, um, a lot of saves, a lot, a lot of, of saves. saves. A- again, I mean, he's he's made plenty of saves across these two games. Yeah, kept the scores down. Yeah, and and look again, we can we can come back to the quality of the opposition. It is a significant factor in that. Uh, and the results that we've had and the performances perhaps that, w- that we've put in. But I did feel like we deserved something from the game um, because of the number of chances we created, the ones that we missed. You know, really, if we'd been clinical, we would have been ahead at halftime, you know, and and that's, that's at least a, a positive thing. I think one of the other big positives on the day was uh, Matteo Genduzzi. And last week we spoke about him and we were, we were urging patience uh, and saying, look, give him a chance, give him some time. He's still just a kid. I I still think that's the case, but we can also acknowledge what was a remarkably assured performance in midfield at 19 years of age. I think he passed a 94% completion in a midfield in which uh, we were under some considerable pressure. You know, he he had a really, really fine performance. uh, And I think that's worth pointing out. I thought he was excellent. And yet we were... We were quite considered uh, in our uh, praise of him last week, but I thought he was better. I thought he was better against Chelsea. I mean, he was at 100% for pass completion at half-time and he didn't drop off much in the second half. But not just that, I think he had something like four ball recoveries. He, he competed in plenty of duels. And I know you had uh, Jack Pitbrook chatting about him on the Ask Us last week. And yeah. what's becoming clear about Genduzzi is the character that he has, you know, he has this huge personality, huge self-belief. The fact that he walked into Arsenal as like an un- unknown 19-year-old and was immediately best pals with Lacazette and Aubameyang tells you a little bit about him. <laughs> and I just think that we do have a real, real prospect on our hands here. And the fact that he even started the game uh, just speaks to Emery's admiration of him. And it feels like he's going to be part of our midfield Moving forward, it's going to be fascinating, isn't it, to see when, now that sort of Torreira, Shaka, yeah. and Ganduzi are all available for selection. Fascinating to see how Emery and Ramsey, let's not forget, yeah. how he puts that all together. And uh, yeah, Elneny, I mean, he is, he's kind of like a wild card that nobody was really considering before the start of the season. How is uh, Emery going to make up his midfield with with Xhaka, with uh, Ramsey, with Torreira, the new signing with Elneny? And all of a sudden, the one who looks undroppable and the one who, based on his performances, is actually undroppable is Genduzi. Mm. You know, and I, I maybe I, I just worry a little bit that you know you you expectations get a little bit high or whatever. But you know when he's playing that well and he's showing that kind of character, uh, and there are other issues with with other players, then I don't see why he he should be taken out of the team. So. He, he- he, he gives you a lot as well. I mean, I know he's 19, so I suppose he should be fit, but his engine is, is great, mm. you know. He's covering a lot of ground in these games. Maybe he's tiring a little bit towards the end, but uh, his passing was, I thought, fantastic on the day. I mean, yeah. that pass for for Bellerin, was yeah. it? But for the Aubameyang miss was, was brilliant. I mean, you know, it was as good as anything Jorginho produced on the day. And uh, he, this is just... He, he has a physicality about him as well that's maybe surprising for someone who's come out of the second tier of French football 
you know, he, he's happy with the challenges. He's happy to go into one-on-ones. He's happy to go shoulder-to-shoulder with people. Yeah. I, I really like the look of him, I have to say. And uh, it'll be... I, I do think he'll be in the team next week. I think you have, you're right. He's undroppable. Yeah, he's made himself... He's played himself into the team. And if Emery is going to run this... Uh, team based on people's performances, then, you know, he's practically the first name on the team sheet. He mm. really is because there are so many issues with with um, with other positions uh, that maybe we might touch on in part two in the questions. But is there anything else that, that caught your eye before we go into the break? I suppose I only to talk about the weekend at Hull and say that as, as disappointing as this was, it's great to see the, the Jose Mourinho show rolling on. Yeah, I watched he did an interview with, with somebody on, on being sports... And, uh, yeah, what a prick. <laughs> he just is a prick, isn't he? There's I no... haven't seen it. What, what was it? Was he throwing players under the bus? Or no, he said, he said something like, you know, we make mistakes and are punished for the mistakes. Uh, and the girl asked him another question and he said, yeah, we make mistakes. You know, just really, fuck you. I don't want to talk to you uh, kind of stuff. <laughs> um, which is glorious, of course, to see because uh, the longer it goes on, the closer he gets to, to absolutely burning it all down. Burn them all! Of course, we just want him to last long enough to really make a real mess of it. You know what yep. I mean? It'd be terrible if he went now mm. and they got somebody in to sort it out. We want this to continue. Yes. So no Jose out banners anywhere, please. Let's, yeah. let's keep it quiet. Exactly. All right, we're going to take a break. We're back with your questions and more in part two right after this. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and our Arseblog, also on the Arseblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arseblog. James, I'm going to go first. This one comes from... Shit. Squiggly thing. Uh, I don't know what okay. his name. I don't know what his name is. Uh, is his it's name a symbol? Like it's Prince. a symbol. Yeah. So he could be very much like Prince, but obviously a bit more alive than Prince. Sure. Uh, now I feel sad that Prince is dead. Anyway, his uh, Twitter handle is at Omar Matia. 
So he could probably explain to us what that is, the squiggle. Maybe it's a, I don't know what it is. It's a symbol of some kind, maybe a character and a language I don't understand. Uh, and I hope I haven't been offensive Possibly. about. <laughs> but he yeah, says, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. He says, after, how could you call that sacred symbol a squiggle? I hate you guys now. <laughs> um, but he says, after the first two games, have your expectations for the season changed? No. No, not at all. I mean, mm. you know, I never expected us to be in a title race or anything like it. Um, I've always thought that we were going to be fighting for top four. And to be honest, I always thought it was going to be a difficult fight. And I think actually looking at Chelsea, I know it's early days and I know they're far from perfect, but you can see you can see that they are going to be pushing for that top four too. I mean, they, you know, they, and if anything, they probably have a stronger base to build on than us. So... My expectations haven't been adjusted. This is kind of what I thought would happen. Mm. Um, so no, what about you? No, no, not at all. I have to say I'm sitting here with, with no points from the first two games and that's kind of where I thought we were going to be. Like I had literally no expectation of us um, taking anything from the Manchester City game. I thought we might get a draw from Chelsea if we did well I thought we might get a draw so that would have been one point from six instead we've no points from six so it's not that big of a gap uh, between where I thought we were going to be or, or where I hoped we might be but no it hasn't changed anything in terms of where what I expect from us this season uh, I kind of hope maybe that the opening two games because of their difficulty will have taught Unai Emery a lot about his players uh, or taught him something at least about his players. So if we are to take positives from two defeats to start the season, he can see how well his players and his system matches up against the best teams and how he might need to adjust that going forward, how much he needs to adjust it for playing somebody like West Ham, for example, I, I don't quite know. But uh, I, I, I expect us, I think, based on who we are, based on what we can spend, our resources, the players that we have at our disposal and everything else, I expect us to to challenge for the top four. And that's kind of where I thought we would be. So no, expectations haven't changed, but I think maybe there's a, a little bit of realism seeping in because you have this this wave of optimism with a new coach and you, you, mm. you have this belief that everything is going to be made better um, and it's clear even more clear anyway to me that he's got a he's got a hell of a job on his hands uh, to, to make this team competitive um, in, in in title terms and even to get into the top four. I think it would be a great achievement for Unai Emery to get this team and this bunch of players into the top four. And I, I'm yeah, basing I that on... that's an important thing to say, yeah. actually. Yeah, it, it, it's not... It would be a, a big deal and he would have done a great job if he does it, I think. When you yeah. look at the competition as well... Mm. Um, and the flaws in the squad. Mm. Uh, I think it would be a hell of an achievement. So fingers crossed he can do it. I mean, Kane, which is an unfortunate name for an Arsenal fan at the moment, who's at KA8Baker on Twitter, says, why do I feel so positive about a loss? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we could see that there were promising signs there. We could see that there were... Um, there were moments where our attacking play was really fun to watch and exciting and had we been more efficient and clinical in front of goal we could have 
we could have taken more from that game, for sure. Yeah. And we can also perhaps see that, um, going back to the point I made in, in the first half, that the defensive errors we made were, were, were pretty basic, and we should be able to cut those kind of mistakes out. We should. Um, so that's probably why. And also, I think the fact that Emery does things differently to Arsene Wenger. You know, you could probably count on one hand the number of times he made a change at halftime that wasn't dictated to by an injury. Um, a tactical change at halftime very rarely happened. There are no sacred cows anymore. You know, Mesut Ozil gets hauled off because he's playing badly. That didn't really happen with Arsene Wenger because he always kind of had this hope that Ozil, because of his quality, can give you a moment. And that's understandable to a large extent, I should say. You know, that, that when you have a player that good and a game is tight, he can produce something in an instant, a bit like Alexis at times. You know, he could play really poorly, but also just pull something out of the hat for you. So he rarely got taken off, but there don't appear to be those sacred cows anymore. So uh, I, I think those are, are reasons to be positive. And also the fact that when you look at that second goal, it was an illustration of the way he wants us to play. And when it works, it's obviously very effective and it's great to watch. So maybe those are the reasons. You think of any more? Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but I think just novelty as well. I think that, you know, we are, there is probably a bit of new manager bias. If Arsene Wenger or any other previous Arsenal manager had managed that game, we'd be talking about how can these mistakes continue to happen? Whereas yeah, yeah. I think because there's someone new at the helm, we're looking for difference. We're looking for, uh, you know, new things and we are finding some. So that's encouraging. You know, we want yeah. to change and change is slowly happening. Mm. Okay, here's a question from uh, Asa Joseph, who's at Asa Joseph. And he says, what do you think would be an acceptable points total from the next eight games? He says, I reckon 17 to 18 is about par. And just to give you the, the fixtures, West Ham at home, Cardiff away, Newcastle away, Everton at home, Watford at home, Fulham away, Leicester at home, Palace away. So... So that's he, he said it, 17 would be a good total from... I think he said 18. 18. From 18. 24, is it? Uh, yeah, 18 from 24. I think, I think that sounds very reasonable. I mean, that list, nothing struck me as particularly daunting on that list. Did no. I miss something? No. no. Maybe Everton at home seem to be playing quite well under Marco Silva. Marco but, Silva. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at those fixtures and you would expect, you'd expect us to start racking up points. I'm going to be a little bit greedy and suggest that we, we probably need 20, 21 points. 20, I was going to say 20. I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable no. at all. Um, I think we have to do that as well because, you know, who are our biggest competition for for the top four are probably I mean Chelsea are certainly among them we've, we're three points back on them mm. we need to start we need to start clawing back some points and you know we're, it's great this West Ham in the next game I mean, they've not got a point on the board yet either um, and if we can get a, a good positive result there hopefully that confidence can carry them through yeah. it'll be amazing to see what a win does for this team because they are trying to implement a lot of new ideas and they're doing that without 
much reward at the moment. Yeah. I think when they get a couple of wins on the table, we might see them, them buying all the more and we might see them blossom a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, when you looked at the fixture list, it wasn't going to be the opening two games, two really difficult games. There's a really unfortunate quirk of the fixture list to give Emery his first two games against teams like that. You know, so I don't know that they're they can be really taken as representative of of where we are under him, and and even so, it's only two games, right? It's only two games, so we can't mm-hmm. uh, we can we can talk about what happened, but we can't talk about things in the wider picture um, because we just only have two games to talk about. Whereas I think you know when we get ten games into the season, and this run of games will take us ten games into the season, we we need to have some significant points on the board um, for, from those fixtures. And I do think that once they get a win, it will, it will really, it'll take some of the pressure off. It must be hugely, not demoralizing for, for Emery, you know, to come in and to start with two wins is really difficult. But I, I hope in some ways, you know, when you hear a song and you hear a song and you go, eh, that's, that's all right. And you hear it again, you hear it again. And over time, you come to realize that this is a really good song. Rather yeah. than a sort of catchy number that you hear straight away and you go, ooh, yeah. And then after about three listens, you're like, fuck, I hate that song. So I'm hoping that our season is a bit more like the first scenario. Rather than starting with a flourish against, you know, some mid-table or lower-table chaff, you know, and everyone going, well, this is great. This is the, you know, we're we're on the road to to success with Unai, uh, and then the the stark reality of facing teams like Chelsea and Manchester City slaps you in the face halfway through the season. You know, we've got that out of the way, and now we can ease our way into the rest of this season. Does that make any sense? It does, and I do wonder if, in some ways, these def- early defeats might do Emery a bit of a favour in the they really do clarify sort of where we are in the standings. You know, it's not like if we had first four games against nobodies and racked up a load of points and people were talking about, hey, you know, maybe we could win the title and then anything from that point would feel like disappointment or failure. Whereas here, it's kind of contextualised the team very clearly. Um, and I think it might it might help him out, actually. It might make people a little bit more patient with him mm. in a funny kind of way. Uh I had a question. Where's it gone? Somewhere. Uh, it's gone somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's got to go somewhere. It's from Mark Allen, who's at Wiltshire Gooner. And Mark says, with his substitution at half time, his lack of pace and defensive awareness, and the performances of Genduzi, are we seeing the beginning of the end for Shaka? I don't know that we are. I mean, they just gave him a new deal. So. Yeah, I let. Maybe not the beginning of the end. I think that's probably uh, too far and we don't really know at this point. But do you think he's, his first-team place is under more threat than it has been in recent seasons? Yeah, it should be as well. It should be. He has been kind of like an automatic pick, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, since he joined. Um, and Once you know, he got into the side, there was that first couple of months yeah. wasn't there where he was sort of on the bench. But once he was in, he's basically been in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a really good passer of the ball. I do think he gives this team something from from deep midfield that is useful. But there are moments where you look at him and you go, how is it after two seasons that you're still making these kind of mistakes, you know, um, getting caught on the ball? 
you know, the, the clumsy tackle to, to take the yellow card, um, which, you know, is fine. I don't mind a player making a foul if something gets away from him. But, you know, it, it seemed to be quite Jacka-esque the way, the way he did that. Um, he's not started the season particularly well. And on that basis, he probably needs to work his way back into the team. I think. And maybe Emery needs to figure out a way. Does he need to use him differently? Does he need to use him with a different kind of a player? I mean, I do wonder what he might be like with Torreira alongside him, you know, in in a Mm -hmm. sort of a a two in midfield. Um, It sounds like it should be somewhat complimentary. But whether it is or not, we 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 uh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, the fact is, he took him off to put Torreira on the other day, so he sort of saw them playing similar kind of roles, even if the way they they played the game was was quite different. But you know, I'm all for a player who is not in great form, sitting his arse on the bench for a while. You know, I think we try to make definitive judgments way too quickly. Um, I say that based on the next question I'm going to ask you, <laughs> which is which is asking something similar, but it just goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier. But if a player is not in great form, let him sit on the bench and let someone else come in and have a go, rather than the situation we've tended to have where a player hasn't been in good form, but they've been given the chance to play themselves back into some kind of form. You know? Yeah. So leave him out of the team. Let him come on as a substitute and let him try and make an impact on the game then and let him give the manager something to think about in training and let him, you know, let him work his way back into it. And that that applies to everybody. I think that applies to every single player in this team, not just Xhaka, not just Hector Bellerin, who people have questions about. I've got a question about him now in a while, but every single player that should apply to them, that if you're not performing, there are other players in this squad who deserve a chance to stake their claim. And if that's the way it operates this season, then I'm I'm all for it. Well, it does seem to be as well. I mean, ultimately, that seems to be what's landed Gendouzi, his place in the team. Emery does at least appear to be trying to create the sense that it is a meritocratic selection process. And it doesn't matter if you're Granite Xhaka or Meza Ozil or whoever you you are, you, you, your, your place in this side or on the pitch is not guaranteed. And that has to be a positive thing. And in the specific case of Xhaka, having been hooked in both games, I, I don't think, I don't think uh, he's going to start against West Ham. And I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I would be surprised if he started. I do wonder as well what Emery thinks of Mohamed El Neni as well, you know. Mm. Um, well, what do you make of those stories suggesting he might be sold? I think with Ainsley Maitland-Niles out for two months, who gave us that midfield cover, it would be a bit of uh, it would be a bit of a risk. But he would still have Xhaka, Ramsey, Torreira, and Genduzi as his midfielders to pick from and he could bring in Joe Willock if he wanted you know there is the possibility depending on how you make up your midfield you could you could use Uwobi in there you could use Mesut Ozil as part of a midfield three you could use Henrik Mkhitaryan as part of a midfield three so there are there are um, ways that you could cope without Mohamed Elneny who I think is you know pretty reliable solid player but if it's to do with getting money off the wage bill then yeah maybe Maybe I don't know. Maybe I, I'd be I'd be inclined to keep him. To be honest, um, I mean he didn't get a new contract much longer ago than Shaka did. It no, was only... it was back in April or March. So yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. It'd be surprising, but it is hard to see him, the way things stand right now, getting, uh, you know, many Premier League minutes, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here's a question from Jay, who's at Gethy Falk. And he says, my friends, what on earth has happened to Bellerin? He's undoubtedly talented, but he looks a shadow of his former self. Once possibly the fastest Premier League player, that now seems like long ago. Where is his speed? Is his strict vegan diet to blame? Uh, I suspect not. I suspect, I suspect not. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't speak with any real clarity about that. But I know there are plenty of athletes out there who are meat-free and it doesn't seem problematic. But I I would agree that Bellerin's Mm. performances have gone backwards in the past couple of years. Um, And I think that that is, like a lot of Arsenal defenders, has to be attributed to the coaching. I think there's been potential there, enough potential that some of the biggest clubs in the world have looked to sign him. But I don't think... He looks like a player who who needs a bit more rigour and a bit more instruction. And I'm really hopeful that in Stefan Licksteiner, we have somebody who might be able to be a role model for him in that position, which is something he's never really had. Yeah, I'll tell you another thing that he's not, not that he's never really had it, but what he has had for the last two years is a player inside him who is a fucking... Not, not a disaster, but a, a source of panic in Shkodran Mustafi. Now, when Hector Bellerin broke through into the team first... He was playing next to Mertesacker. Indeed. Mertesacker, who was a very experienced defender, who could guide a young player through a game. And you only have to go back to Ashley Cole, for example, talking about how invaluable it was to his education as a footballer to have Tony Adams playing uh, inside him when he was starting out. And then he had Saul Campbell. He had two amazing defenders there who helped him realize his potential. Cole was always a very good player, but having that kind of uh, education, I think is invaluable to a young player. But when you're playing as a fullback and, you know, we can talk about the defensive uh, side of his game, which I agree has been found wanting. I thought he was good going forward. He created some some good chances uh, for us. Uh, And that side of his game, I'm less concerned about. But the defensive side of his game, you know, decision making and positioning and those kind of things, you know, those can be coached. But also having somebody on the pitch who can really help you out is a big is a big help. And I don't think that Mustafi is any kind of um, organiser or educator on the pitch. And I I don't mean to say that Bellerin's defensive issues are because of Mustafi or anything like that. Don't take this out of context. But what I'm saying is it can't be helpful to play alongside a guy who doesn't really understand the game himself from a defensive point of view the way that Per Mertesacker did. Mm-hmm. So I think mm. that could be a part of what's gone on with Hector Bellerin and why it continues to go on. I think it's certainly a part of it. I think it's certainly a big part of it. And uh, look, I do think that injuries have affected him as well. I think since he came back from, was it a, an ankle problem or an Achilles yeah, problem? Yeah, it was ankle, I think, yeah. Ankle, yeah. I don't think he's ever looked quite as quick as, as he did Um at his best but you know that's something that happens to footballers and they have to find ways to compensate uh, and he's still doing that but 
you know, I uh, I also think that this year, I mean, we had a question. Uh, it was somebody saying, should Licksteiner uh, get a game at right back? I think it was C.Y. Gunner at C.Y. Gunner saying, would it not be better if Bellerin was replaced by Licksteiner as he would defend better and help organise the centre-backs more? I'm not saying that that should happen on a permanent basis, but I am saying that if against West Ham or whoever it is, you want to give Lichtsteiner a game of right back, take better and out the firing line, mm. give him that little bit of motivation, show him that his pace place isn't automatic. I personally don't have an issue with that because I think for the first time in maybe three years, we have a an alternative right back who can cope with that and where it's not going to make us significantly weaker. So yeah. I'm not saying drop Bellerin, bring Littsteiner in, but I'm saying use the squad and, and, and use Littsteiner as an example and also as competition for Bellerin. Yeah, I wouldn't really have a I wouldn't really have an issue with that. Again, it depends how much of uh the way Emery wants to play is based on his fullbacks getting forward and is Licksteiner able to get up and down in the same way. You know, at 34 years of age, there is a, a limitation there in terms of how often you can make those runs up and down the pitch. He's clearly a very fit guy. There was a quite an interesting video, actually, on the Arsenal YouTube uh, where Bellerin interviews Licksteiner and they talk about the competition in the squad and, and Licksteiner seems very open to the idea of, you know, this is a team, this is not um, Stefan versus Hector, he says, this is Stefan and Hector for the team, for Arsenal. And, you know, so that kind of attitude is is really something. Um, maybe having somebody like Licksteiner on the pitch who could organise a bit more, who might be able to um, pass that across the line, shall we say, in terms of where defenders ought to be, um, might not be a bad thing either. So, look, I, th- I think I think the potential for Hector Bellerin to be a really good player is still there. Uh, he's not been in the greatest of form, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we can give up on him or anything like that. But again, as I came back to um, in, in the last answer, I've got no problem with any player being made sit down on the bench if they're not playing as well as they can and, you know, make them work, make all of them work from fucking top to bottom, keeper to strikers, all of them. I mean, it's a good point made about Littsteiner there. And actually one of the things, I know we mentioned the the tour of the performance centre. One of the little sort of nuggets of information that came away from it is how impressed everyone has been with Littsteiner. Uh, you know, how professional he is, how mm. his preparation is superb and his attitude in training is apparently fantastic. So, you know, that is a, a summer signing I think we can feel at this stage uh, quietly quite pleased about. I think that's always going to be a helpful quality to bring to the squad, isn't it? To be that kind of driven personality. Yep. yep, yep. Um, this is a question from Brody Dick, who's at Brody underscore Dick on Twitter. And Brody says, hi guys, do you think Ramsey will eventually prove to be more effective pushed higher up or should he be back into his normal role as a central midfielder, keeping in mind he likes to attack, which leaves us open to the counter? What do you think of the way that Emery has used Ramsey so far? And what did you make of him not starting at the weekend? Thought it was very interesting that he didn't start. Mm. Um, what the way he's using him? Maybe he brought him on as a replacement for Ozil, so maybe he sees those two as an either or. Yeah. Although you know, again, our frame of reference is so small, but perhaps we can read something into the fact that in a big game away from home, he only started one of them rather yes. than both. I think I think that's fair. Yeah. And I think that it is hard. We've learned that it's hard to accommodate them both centrally, certainly, yeah. in, in your team. And when you're away from home, that can be 
that can be dangerous. I mean, See, do, do you think it has anything, any bearing at all, any, there's any influence from his contractual situation here? Probably. Probably, because from what we understand, there's nothing doing. There's mm. nothing happening in that regard. So, you know, I don't have any doubts about Ramsey's professionalism or his desire to perform and do well when he gets on the pitch. But if a guy's not going to sign, and I can think of reasons why Ramsey wouldn't sign with us, you know, at at this moment in time, if he's not going to sign, at what point do you say, okay, we have to go in a different direction? Because as good as you are, we have to prepare for life without you. So maybe there's an element of that, but I think that might be something that... um, that happens a bit later in the season. Um, but I, I, I think in terms of his quality, in terms of his physical attributes, in terms of his technique, uh, everything else, I think Ramsey can and has all the attributes to play as part of a midfield too. I know he likes to get forward. I know he's great at arriving in the box, but I think he can play in that role. He has done it in the past. He's done it. He did it really well with Mikel Arteta. Um, but it's a matter of instilling a discipline in him in that position. That A, we don't know if Emery shares that opinion on where Ramsey is as a player, or B, if Ramsey wants to play that role. Does he want to play further forward? Does he want to be the guy getting in the box? Or does he want to uh, limit his game or feel like he'd be limiting his game playing further back? But I think he can play in that position. Yeah, I, I think he can, but I, I'm not sure if Emery necessarily thinks that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I do wonder if he's looking at Ramsey and Ozil and thinking, well, one's going to be out of here in 12 months potentially. One's on a huge contract that sustains him for the next few years. So if I'm going to work hard to accommodate one in my team, it's going to be the guy who's going to be here in the long term. Um so, yeah, it, it's really, I mean, it's one of those things Arsene Wenger would never have done. I can't Im- remember a time where Ramsey was fit and left on the bench for a big game like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I found it really fascinating and it'll be interesting to see what happens against West Ham, you know, if the rules are kind of different in home games because obviously Ramsey and Ozil did start together against Man City. Okay, here's a question uh, from Gunnar Owl, who's Wien Diola. And he says, is it time to give holding a run at centre-back, either in a back four or a back five? Our defending can't get much worse than it has been in the first two games. So where do, where do you stand on this uh, defensive thing? Is it a case that we need to change it and bring in holding and look at these fixtures and say, these are winnable games. This will be a good uh, good chance for him to bed into the team to get a good platform of games under his belt. Or is it a case that, well, the first two games were really difficult and that's not enough time to judge this new central defensive pairing? I think, despite how much of me is saying, drop Mustafi, bring in holding... Uh, I think you're probably correct with what you said last there, which is that it's probably too soon to judge this defensive partnership just because it's been two games and also the calibre of the opposition. I do think that they do need to be given more of an opportunity to bed in, even though there are parts of me screaming <laughs> to make a difference. What uh, What about you? Um, screaming, yeah. <laughs> like that? Um, yeah, very much like that. <laughs> Uh, I think the fact that he's picked Mustafi and Socrates 
for those two games suggests that this is the pairing that he wants to try and use. Um, and, and as I said in the first half, the way that we build the ball from the back, Mustafi seems to be quite involved in that. Um, so I think, again, personally... Oh, hello. 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 Okay. Are you still there? Yeah, very much Ooh, so. there was weird, like, space noises and stuff. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I just think that, like you, I would be... I'm all for change and to give players um, a run in the team when they're not playing well enough. But I think he's going to give this duo another few games. And if they don't improve, then I think he'll make changes. They don't improve in these next few games. Or if those errors or those um, lapses in concentration prove costly again, then I think he's got no choice. He's got no choice but to change it. So, but I do think it, it'll, it'll it won't be for the next game. Yeah, I think uh, I, I don't I don't think he I don't think he will change it. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, the the club have they've put down that money on Socrates and they need to see if they can get some return on it. I mean, it's it's not an ideal situation, but it's the one we're in. Mm, it is okay. Have you got time? Have you got one more? Or is I'm actually is that- all out of questions there. Yeah, have you got any more? Uh, do I have one more? I, I did like this one. It comes from Man Win, who's at Coaster uh, with a K and an H on Twitter. And he says, I want the club to start selling Genduzi wigs. This would easily fund a new centre half. What would be your favourite wacky gunner themed merchandise? Genduzi wig is good. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, you could get a Genduzi wig and an Alnani wig have a lovely little pair of wigs there. Yeah. I think uh, player merchandise. Yeah. I don't know, you know. I'm mean, Back in the day, I always used to think Arsenal were really missing a trick, not having a kind of Mikel Arteta branded hair gel. That would have been an extraordinary <laughs> seller. <laughs> it would have been strong, stronger and even stronger again. One yeah, of those I ones know. where they get the guy, the model, to walk through a wind tunnel, not a hair exactly. out of place. <laughs> Just one of those jet engine ones. <laughs> Some sort of Olivier Giroud face cream would have done well too. Mm. Uh, these days, I don't know, looking at the squad, I mean, does anything jump out at you? No, I mean, the only thing that sprung to mind was maybe a, a Gervinho hair merkin. Of course. What but, else? I mean, what, whoever, <laughs> we, all, we all need one of those. It, I mean, the, the Petr Cech hat feels like a merchandising opportunity that's been missed as well, potentially. It's not really the kind of thing you'd put on, though, going out to the local nightclub, is it? <laughs> get my chin, gotta, hang on, lads. Gotta get my helmet on. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. I guess not. Um, but, you know, that that would be, uh, you know, a Gunduzi wig. I don't. I think it's a matter of time, to be honest, until we start seeing them appear yeah. in the stands. I'm sure they will, actually. Yeah, someone, it feels inevitable. Yeah, someone will be selling that merchandise sooner rather than later, that's for sure. Um, people don't miss opportunities to sell tat outside football grounds, do they? So. No, they certainly don't. All right, well, look, we're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Please, if you like the show, give us a rating and a review on iTunes. It helps us get up the iTunes charts, and uh, and that, that that makes us feel good. So uh, if you if you have time and energy to do that, uh, thanks very much. Was that somebody in the walls there, James? That Sounded- is the people trying to get out of the walls. So this may be my last podcast uh, if the zombies do get out of the walls. Yeah, claim they're, me. They're going to feast. Feast on your gizzards is what they're going to do. Yeah. Lucky old them. Lucky old them. Yeah. Your big haggisy g- gizzards. Scottish gizzards. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week, I guess. We will. And I'll be here on Friday. We'll be looking ahead to the West Ham game. So join us for that. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.